Hotep family, what's going on, everybody? Welcome to another episode of My Unapologetic Perspective here on the Mighty Motivation Network. Uh, this podcast is where we give our point of view of controversial topics from our experience, black history, and our knowledge as African-Americans. In the words of Maya Angelou, do your best until you know better, and when you know better, do better. So it's important to search for information to discover what you don't know so you can discover your best you. Uh, I am your host, Martre Baker-Stevens, and to the right of me is Shaquan Battle. We back. And to the right of him is Jerome Battle. What's up? Uh, happy Black History Month uh, for the people who blackity black 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 who, who like to don't talk about black history month we understand that black history is every day but black history month is an opportunity to spread awareness at its highest peak so uh we continue to celebrate black black history month um we continue to show the world how important african americans how important africa is to the world and how important uh you are to um to, to the world and, and building what we call today the the united states um how are y'all I'm good. I'm gonna interrupt for a quick second. I want you to talk real quick about something you and I talked about yesterday about Target and Black History Month. About oh yeah, Target and Black History Month. Uh, so you, we got these uh stores like Target, and I think it's <coughs> Bed Bath and Beyond or Bed Bath and Body Works, one of them Bed Bath stores. And there's probably some other stores, uh, retail stores that are doing the same thing. But what they do is every year they put out their their Black History Month catalog, and I wouldn't have a problem with that if that was out year round. That's right. But black for Black History Month, throwing that out there is to say, if we have this, black people are going to come buy it from us. And that's just a way of, of getting your money. It's total manipulation because they do not care about Black History Month. They care about the money that could be that's right. that could be uh, profited from Black History Month of raising that awareness so our people can go buy the, buy the products because ain't no white people buying Black History Month products. To go buy those products, they take our money and they give nothing back to the community when they're black-owned businesses that sell the same products. I don't care if they making stuff out their house. They got jewelry, people making black history jewelry. People um, uh, got their own little libraries to where they purchase black history books and they're selling it from their, from their page. I mean, you have uh, people who make shirts. You have right. people who do all of these things, but we'd rather go to target bed bath and beyond and say oh they care about us because they have black history stuff out but those are the same people who want to close their stores whenever black lives matter protests those are the same people who will not stand up for black people right. but they will take your money and say hey we care about black history month the same people who will sell books that promote white supremacy Absolutely. all year round the same people who sell towels that have the confederate flag on it all year round right but you only sell these black products doing Black History Month. Absolutely. And uh, to, give, to give some, because I agree with y'all, but I'm going to play devil's advocate and give some pushback. <coughs> what would you say to the people that say, okay, you want these corporations to do something to help black people, and then they're doing it, and now you're saying we're trying to profit off of it? No, we want we, them to do we, it. Year what, are, round. what are they doing to help? We want to do it year round. Just because. Just because you, you put out merchandise does not make that does not mean that you are uh that you're helping the problem, right? Just because you you speak up on, on something doesn't mean you're helping. What are you doing with that money from Black History Month? Is it going to any black thing? Right. What are you doing with that money? Or are you just pocketing it? So just putting the stuff out there is not it's not helping black people, it's only helping you. What does Target benefit from putting out Black History Month stuff? If, like I said, if it was year round and you show that you care about those black products, right. 
then okay, we can have a conversation. But if you're treating it like Christmas, most of those big corporations aren't Christians, but they put out Christmas stuff. Why? Because people are going to go out and buy right. buy all that Christmas stuff. Then once Christmas is over, you pack it up and, and you're leaving it until next year. That's not showing that you actually care about it. Uh, and real quick, middle fingers up. Joe Rogan, we don't care about your apology. Uh, you knew exactly what you was doing. And that by saying it that many times, you know exactly how you feel about black people. Um, and we could care less about your apology. Absolutely. Spotify doesn't take the episodes <coughs> down until it's uh, outraged. That's, that's my biggest thing. Like, if Spotify does a deal with Joe Rogan, they have to know and listen to his podcast. Right. So you have to understand. $100 million. Right. Deal, so, and, and nobody talks about, nobody talked about those previous episodes um, until it was just brought up. I don't listen to Joe Rogan. And number one, I'm not shocked that he said it. Right when I'm watching, I'm like, okay, surprised that you surprised. surprised. <laughs> you surprised. That's right. All right. But I am surprised that he said we pulled up to the nightclub and it looked like Planet of the Apes in there. It looked like we was in Africa because it wasn't a, a white person in there. Now I, that I ain't surprised, but I mean that that's a surprised little crazy. He went to that that extreme, yeah. right? In his in his detailed yeah. uh, observation, right? But, but the thing is, is that's what most of them think. You know, so a lot of people may not say it, but that's what they're thinking anyway. Mm -hmm. You know, so he he just he just said he just said what most people are thinking when they go to that environment and see that. But what I don't explain about when they do the apology <coughs> videos or the apology announcements, they always say, "I apologize. I didn't mean to offend no one." Now, <laughs> if you know that calling black people Planet of the Apes. And it looks like it's African. You say the word nigger, you know, uh, and you know that those are racial slurs. I don't get when you say, I didn't mean to offend nobody. Yeah. Well, you meant to offend it because you said the racial slurs. Yeah, they meant to do it. And the thing is, the apology allows them to get away with it. Yeah. Right. So, yeah. so that's what it is now. It's, it's about disaster and recovery. Right. We, we created the issue. Now we got to try to fix it, repair it so that it doesn't affect them monetarily. Right, he meant it. Yeah. Just because he apologized doesn't mean that he didn't mean it. He right. meant it. Mm -hmm. The equivalent to when you when you cheat and you say, "Oh, I never meant to hurt you." <coughs> Why you do it then? Right. Yeah, they did what they wanted right. to do. You know. So. Um, I know it's been a minute since we've been back. I guess we're on season three now. Um, but the last episode we did was on, of course, on Emmett Till. Um, and we're gonna stick with another case. Um, that's relevant today. Um, and we're going to talk about the the assassination of Fred Hampton. Um, and I'll let Shaquan take the lead, leading us into the topic. I arrived on the day Fred Hampton died. Uh, real <laughs> niggas just smoke the fly. That's old, by the way. Fred Hampton, 21-year-old chairman of Chicago Black Panthers, was murdered by his own government. But before that, he was a leader in movement practicing a new kind of activism, mm -hmm. a movement target to unite people. Right? So when we think about Fred Hampton, most of the time you just think about the leader of the Black Panther Party, but you don't think about that he was murdered by his own government of what he was trying to do in the in the black communities around around the nation. Um, Chicago's mayor at the time was Richard J. Daley, opposed neighborhood integration in the 1950s, and the city developed certain neighborhoods, pushing low-income residents out into packed housing in overcrowded neighborhoods. Black people were pushed primarily to the south of Chicago. Whites was pushed to the uh, upper side 
and the Puerto Ricans was pushed to the east side, which is known as Lincoln Park. Um, and these groups faced similar problems. They had all broken down schools, homes, and no health care. And uh, so, I like for me when I when I think about Fred Hampton, um, Bacon. I think you mentioned it many times on this podcast was uh, Judas and the Black Messiah depicted everything pretty much perfect, beautiful, beautiful perfect. movie. Um, I watched that movie twice now. Uh, the first time I watched it, I watched it, you know, just to watch it. Second time, because you already know what's going to happen, you are able to see it differently. Mm-hmm. Um, and the 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 power that he spoke, and the way that he spoke, um, you know, the the one that his longtime girlfriend said, you know, the words that you use, you are a poet. Mm-hmm. Um, and you think about all the poets that you know we didn't talk about them on this podcast, Langston Hughes, mm-hmm. uh, all of those. And black people just have a way with words. Mm-hmm. Um, do y'all got anything? You want to go? Yeah, I, I'll go. Uh, <laughs> you know, the thing is, is every time we talk about Fred Hampton, of course, people think about the movie. Right. Um, and they talk about how he spoke poetically. Um, they talk about um, the fact that he was trying to Take take the the party in a different direction, mm-hmm. right? Talking about healthcare, talking about um, the programs that he had already initiated. Some of the programs, some programs that are still running today, actually took place when he was in high school and created those those programs. Mm-hmm. <clears throat> but rare, very rarely do people talk about the content mm-hmm. of Fred Hampton and the things that he did. And I, I for for me, I think that's the miscarriage of justice. It's great to talk about the poetic. Uh, narratives that he gave, the speeches, how it moved people. That's great. But what was the content yeah. of, of what he was talking about? And and then how did he get to that point? It's, it's something that he did that I thought was very unique. He looked at white America the way that most of us believe that white America actually thinks and works, mm-hmm. which is they don't care if they're throwing their own kind down with the rest of them. They could care less. Right. They could. They would put their own kind in that same box with blacks and Hispanics and Asians. You talking about poor white America? That's right. right. Poor white America or anybody who sides with the other people. Mm-hmm. Right? Doesn't matter whether they're siding with blacks or Asians or whoever. If you're siding with them, then you're against us. Mm-hmm. And they will do the same thing to them that they do to Black America mm-hmm. or Asian Americans. Mm-hmm. <clears throat> so what he did is he went to those people. So when he went to these other gang groups, because he went to some poor white people, he went to a clan meeting, right? Yeah. right? Mm-hmm. Because at the end of the day, they don't like you either. You do the dirty work for them, but they don't like you. Right. They don't like you either. So he went to those groups and said, you know what? You don't give a fuck about you. Your school systems are just as bad as ours. Your neighborhoods are just as dangerous as ours. Right. Mm-hmm. Drugs run prevalent in your neighborhoods just like ours. What makes you any different than us? So what we need to do is we need to, to we need to unite so that we can make change. Right. And he mm-hmm. went there doing this with no guns. Right. With no guns. Mm-hmm. You can't do that today in Chicago. <laughs> right. Right. So he was able to go to these groups, not only get them to listen, but get them to agree to join the cause. Thus is where you got the Rainbow Coalition. Right? Absolutely. You know, and I to, to me, I think when you look at the content of what Fred Hampton did is far more important than how eloquently he spoke. 
yeah. or how he moved people with speeches. Mm-hmm. I wouldn't have cared if he didn't say a word. Right. The things that he were, he was able to accomplish, I think, speak volumes to what Fred Hampton was. Absolutely. And for me, <coughs> it's something that we talk about a lot on this podcast, and we're going to continue to reiterate it, which is the impact of the youth. Um, Fred Hampton, you talked about it on the podcast before, that Fred Hampton's mother babysit Emmett Till that we talked about on the last episode. That's right. Um, But Emmett Till at an early age was already being active. Um, In high school, he helped organize a a protest for an unjust arrest by a guy by the name of Eugene Moore. That's right. Uh, Eugene Moore ended up later on in life, which was his classmate at the time, ended up later in life becoming the first, the area's first um, black representative of the state. That's right. Um, he also helped lead and um, demonstrate a a protest or a demonstration for um, interracial uh, pool in Chicago, in which eventually right. happened. They integrated a pool due to that protest. Whole recreation center, not right. just the pool, but the whole recreation right. center. That's he was right. part of the NAACP student or youth organization, to where he was on the committee of a uh, called um, interracial. Um, interracial cross something like that and what they did was they talked to white students about their racial biasness that's right um so you're talking about a kid early on in high school that's doing these demonstrations um that's why we talk about the impact of the youth he also was very intelligent after graduating high school with honors he enrolls in pre-law classes of college you know to mention how he was able to pay for that Right, so a lot by by working in high school and saving his money. Right, so when you think of the Black Panther Party, we forget that the leaders were highly intelligent. Highly Whether intelligent. you talk about Huey Newton and Bobby Seale and to Fred Hampton, these were college students who were doing pre-law classes. That's right. Th- th- these are not just thugs or dummies. That's right. Right, so when we when we look at the impact of you, these were intelligent um, young young men and women, and. Fred Hampton joins the Black Panther Party around 19, 20 years old. Becomes the chairman of Chicago by age 21, which just shows you the level of influence and intelligence that this man had to be considered the chairman for uh, the Chicago chapter. That's right. Um, and again, with the Rainbow Coalition, like you said, what he was, what he, his thought process was, all of us are in the same boat. And mm-hmm. he, he, he would listen to Malcolm X say that we're all in the same boat. That was one of his, one of his favorite That's lines. Right. Um, the fact that we all deal with police brutality, whether you're Puerto Rican, poor whites, African-Americans, that's right. gang members, or highly intelligent college students. That's right. We all dealing with police brutality. We all deal with lack of education because of the schools we're getting. Our that's schools right. look the same like yours, poor whites. That's right. Horrible. We're not getting the same treatment that they're getting on the North side. That's right. Right. Mm-hmm. Uh, not only that, that they are disregarded and discriminated against because they're poor. That's so right. what he wanted to do was put, let's pull all our resources together to help poor citizens within our community. And that's what they did. And again, like you talked about with the free breakfast program and the, and the free clinic, the Black Panther Party's free breakfast program paved the way for the USDA to put their free breakfast program in the school. That's so right. what you see now in, in the school system was started by the Black Panther Party and Absolutely. really advocated by a guy by the name of Fred Hampton. And that's how great he was. Then, of course, you had J. Edgar Hoover, who wanted to put an end to the Black Messiah, and he felt that Fred Hampton was going to electrify and unify the Black community. That's right. He, he felt threatened by Fred Hampton. And, and let's put this in, in a little bit better perspective, just for a quick second. 
The same way that white America and the government felt threatened by Martin Luther King mm -hmm. and Malcolm X, mm -hmm. they felt the same way about Fred Hampton. And Mega so, Evers. And Mega Evers. Mm -hmm. So for, for people, which you most people have heard about Mega Evers, mm -hmm. mostly everybody's heard about Martin Luther King and Malcolm X. Mm -hmm. Not a lot of people had heard about Fred Hampton. Mm -hmm. But he was that magnitude of activist, but more importantly, threat. He was all of them in one, and when you think about it, he was all of them all in of one. Because you got to remember, he, mar he, he marched with Martin Luther King at least three times mm -hmm. and realized that this nonviolent approach, people throwing bricks, whoa, 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 <laughs> yeah. that ain't going to work for me, right? So he started thinking more along Malcolm X terms. But it was self-defense. And this is the thing you talked about on many podcasts. When we talk about any means necessary, people think that means violence. Mm -hmm. That's not what he was saying. He was saying self-defense. Mm -hmm. And that's where Fred Hampton was about self-defense. The Black Panther Party in general was about self-defense. Mm -hmm. So when you when we watch Black Panther movies and when you watch excerpts about Black Panthers, because most of the time this is going to be gen footage generated by white America or recorded by white America, the one thing that's the common denominator is they all refer to cops as pigs. Right. And most Black Panther members had some form of altercation with the police. police yeah. So that's what people think of when they think of the Black Panthers. Mm -hmm. Just so people know, the reason that they called cops pigs to their face is because they was hoping that they would be some cops that did not want to be associated yeah. with pigs, mm -hmm. which means you're going to react differently, mm -hmm. right? The same way that we <clears throat> act when people call us niggers. Right. It's not because we despise the word because we use it all. I use it every day right. in a loving term. It's because we don't act the way that you think the niggers act. Mm -hmm. That's what we get upset about. So when we when they were calling cops pigs, they was hoping that there would be some cops out there to say, I don't want to be associated with them. Mm -hmm. I'm a different type of cop. I'm mm -hmm. a different type of law enforcement. Mm -hmm. And a lot of cases it worked because you had a lot of law enforcement that actually worked and helped the Black Panthers. Mm -hmm. So I think Fred Hampton was influential in a lot of ways that a lot of people don't even understand because we focus on the drama. Right. We focus on the things that's made for big screen, the way he talked, the lingo, mm -hmm. the way he motivated people to do what? Right. See, people forget about motivate them to do what? Right. So when you watch that movie, we would see the assassination and we see how the government was involved. And back to that, what they did to Martin Luther King was the first time that they had used surveillance illegally to be able to find out what a citizen of the United States was doing. Mm -hmm which carried over to Malcolm X, which carried over to Mega Evers, which carried over to Fred Hampton, which carried over to Watergate. Mm -hmm. You heard about Watergate, mm -hmm. but you didn't hear about any of these other things. Yeah. A lot of people didn't even know about this counterintelligence until Fred Hampton. Right. So he set the precedence not only for what a lot of groups are doing in terms of creating programs and in at-risk neighborhoods or poor neighborhoods, but he also changed the precedence of how they do surveillance yeah. on people that they consider a threat. Right. Absolutely. And one of, one of the problems is that we do, and this not to take anything away from Dr. King, Malcolm X, Fred Hampton, because speaking elegantly, clearly and concisely, is one of the ways to be a leader That's right. for, for the people. Because if you're able to talk a certain way, you can encourage people a way that, that most wouldn't be able to identify. That's right. So a lot of times when you hear people speak and you talk about things that nobody else is, is saying or other people are afraid to say, 
That's what Dr. King, Malcolm X, and Fred Hampton did. Right. They began to say things that people was like, wait a minute, is he you allowed say to that. say that? That's right. that, that, that? That becomes clear. But the problem that we have even to today's society after just after celebrating Black History Month now, celebrating Dr. King's birthday or Dr. King's day um, a few weeks ago, we focus on words, right. quotes, sentences. And when you do that, you get away from, like you talked about, the content of what they're saying. That's right. So you can take a Martin Luther King quote and says that says that, you know, he's against hate. That's right. Love conquers all, whatever the case may be. But you don't talk about what he says in the sentence after that. After that. Because right. we have this, this perspective of Dr. King, and we like to just correlate, oh, he was just calm, cool, and collected about peace, about love, about prosperity. Yes, he was. That's right. But he also challenged the racist theories from people that, and they don't quote that part. That's right. Same thing we do with Malcolm X. They'll quote by any means necessary. That's right. But you don't quote the content of how what he's saying That's by right. any means necessary. That's right. You'll quote the ballot or the bullet, but you don't quote the necessary history that he gives you about the ballot or the bullet. So we have a hard time as a society taking content and expounding on it is not breaking it down to its microwavable, um, microwavable ways to give people to say, okay, right. this is what he stands for because it's a sentence. We have to do a better job of conveying the whole perspective. And because essentially what we're doing is the same thing the history books do to us in school, which is minimize us to a paragraph. That's when right. Fred Hampton, Malcolm X, Dr. King was much more than, than what they gave. Dr. King was much more than 19... 63 to 1965 that's right you know we have to talk about 1965 to 1968 at some point and, and you know that's a great point and i didn't think we were gonna go this far but since you you've already touched on it i know we're talking about fred hampton but part of what fred hampton picked up on was what you and i talked about a few weeks ago mm -hmm. is about where martin luther king was after mm -hmm. the civil rights act was signed mm -hmm. martin luther king started talking a more radical approach mm -hmm. not in terms of marches but in terms of government. Mm -hmm. Now, let me give you an example. One of the things that you look at what Fred Hampton did cost. It cost to do. So yeah. in order for the, you create these programs that you're going to feed every kid breakfast, it costs. Right. Somebody got to pay that cost, right? So for that program, the people in the community took care of that cost, yeah. right? It didn't matter where he got the money from. They were going to go out and create the avenue to create those funds so that they could have those lunches. One of the things that Martin Luther King talked about is the Civil Rights Act was easy for the government to give us. You know why? It didn't cost, it didn't anything. cost anything, right? It was free. It's free to allow us to be able to, 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 to use our constitutional rights to be able to vote mm -hmm. and for us to be able to register the vote just like any other American, right? Mm -hmm. It didn't cost you anything yeah. to do that. But the next step was going to cost you. Changing poverty. Change, changing poverty. In order money. to change poverty, in order to get these projects and these ghettos fixed, it's going to cost some money. Yeah. And we're not even, we haven't gotten the reparations yet. <laughs> no. We haven't even gotten to that part yet. We're just talking about things that we know that needs to change. It's going to cost you some money. Mm -hmm. So what they do, they kill them. Yeah. Right. So then you have Malcolm X and then you have Fred now Fred Hampton. Hampton. You have mega Everett's doing the same thing down mm -hmm. in Florida. Right. So you have these same things. These people are talking about the same things about what's next. So when we talk about, yeah, they would love for you to go watch the movie. 
watch them. Oh, yes, great movie, great actors. Oh, the, yeah, yes, box office, money, great. Nobody talks about the content because, you know, the content is it's going to cost America some money. Mm -hmm. And right now, nobody's talking about what's going to cost America some money. All right, we're going to take a quick commercial break. We'll be right back. And we are back. Uh, go to YouTube, type in Mighty Motivation Network, hit the subscribe button, go to Facebook, type in my unapologetic perspective, hit the like button and follow all of the links. Dude, uh, we're going to jump right back in. Let's jump to the raid. All right, before we get to the raid, let's, okay. let's, because uh, that was, um, that was the gap for me was what was in between the raid that happened that now you want to, and I figured out what it was. Well, after doing some research, it was the Rainbow Coalition started popping up in rural white areas. Mm -hmm. um, you know, why are blacks, poor whites, and Puerto Ricans and all these other people coming together? And, you know, and that that's going to affect America's capitalism. Mm -hmm. So that's that's why in 1968, the FBI sent around a memo, an internal memo. Outline the goals to prevent the Rainbow Co the coalition of militant black nationalist group, and to to prevent the rise of the Messiah that could unify, electrify yeah. the militant black nationalist movement. And the unify part is what got me because we we say all the time as black people, who are our black leaders? Who are our leaders? Who who is the one person that can unify everybody? Mm -hmm. And they seen it as Fred Hampton could unify everybody, right? You, you know, you brought up an interesting fact because there's a gap, and there's there's a, quite a few factors that that created that gap, because that gap is not just the gap in what Fred Hampton did and when he did it, but it also created a gap in terms of the rise and fall of the Black Panther Party that a lot of people had make this association, and you just did. Is when you talk about capitalism, one of the things that Fred Hampton and most Black Americans that was in leadership disagree with capitalism and they think that America was a capitalistic country. Mm -hmm. And I think this is where, I don't want to say he made a mistake. I think a lot of people misinterpreted what, what he was saying. He said that the Black Panther Party was a Marxist uh, group, meaning they follow the school of thought of communism mm -hmm. and opposed to socialism, socialism or capitalism. Yeah. Right. And we're not going to go. We're not going to debate the difference between the three because there's some other groups. Yeah. And even Marxism has a uh, Marxism has some other um, parts to it that aren't necessarily um, associated with communism. Yeah. But in this instance, this is what he meant. A lot of people misconstrued that as the government would still own the businesses, mm -hmm. but they had no say in how those businesses were ran and that each individual, each part, received the same benefit in that business. So it didn't matter where you worked in the company, you get the same pay, didn't matter what color you were. And the, the thing was, is what he was talking about in terms of equality, mm -hmm. not in terms of a society mm -hmm. and how that society should be ran, whether it was businesses or what have you. He was saying he wanted to be able to create something that was not gonna pay me less money because I was black not necessarily less money because I knew less than everybody else. So in his mind, if you have equal education, mm -hmm. you have equal opportunity, you have equal pay, then you decrease all these things that we consider crime uh, creating environments, right? right? Um, so that's what his thought was. However, 
Not everybody was as educated as he was. Not everybody was listening to every speech. Not everybody was beating down those words of what he was saying instead of going, and that boy good. Yeah. Some, some people was just listening going, amen, amen, right. brother. They wasn't really listening. But if you really listen, that's not what he was saying. But because you didn't have a majority, not only the white America, but black America was not listening. And they said, communism, oh, mm-hmm. wait a minute. So you had drop off from the Black Panther Party during that time. But that was only one part. Here's another part. Sexism was huge during this time. You still got to remember when we're in the 60s, mm-hmm. where women didn't have a lot of rights. Yeah. Okay. So in real perspective, you have blacks that don't have a lot of rights or allowed to practice them. But you also have women who don't even have the rights. They, they don't have the rights that they're just being violated, right? They don't even have them. So one of the things that happened in the Black Panther Party was some women started getting uh, uh, nominated or, or appointed to certain positions. One lady, her name I think was Elaine Brown, was appointed to be actually a chairman at a, a division outside of Chicago. And a lot of males didn't like it. They thought it showed a sign of weakness that you would have men reporting to a woman. To a woman. So when when Fred Hampton got out of out of prison the last time before he was assassinated, what was one of the first things he wanted to do? Stop sexism. He wanted to stop sexism. Mm-hmm. Well, what happens to that alpha male that's a part of that Black Panther Party when you do that? You lose him. It's one name I'm thinking of in particular. I'm not going to say yeah, it because I hate you, So you lost these individuals because you did something. Also, he, we, we were talking about the National Football League, and you start talking about percentages. He understood 70% of the Black Panther Party was women. Yeah. 70%? Nobody's a leader? Yeah. None of these women can lead. All they can do is what people classified as women's work. Mm-mm. Fred Hampton didn't think that way. Mm-hmm. He lost party uh, a confirmation at that point. He lost the locker room. Mm-hmm. He lost the locker room at that point. Right. So the gap, that's part of that gap that you're talking about. And that gap was a lot larger than him just going to prison. That gap was a lot larger than people not really knowing all the things that was going on with the Black Party for that time, Black Panther Party for that time. That gap ended up being part of the downfall of the Black Panther Party. Not just Black Panther Party. It ended up being the downfall of Dr. King. <laughs> You got to remember after 1965 with the the uh, the Voting Rights Act. That's right. Dr. King started focusing more on the poverty and getting out of the Vietnam War, which made a lot of civil rights activists mad because he began to talk about the money and challenging Lyndon B. Johnson, who signed the bill. That's right. So when you talk, when you hear about Dr. King, Fred Hampton, Malcolm X, back in those times, that they don't bring it up now. Back in those times. What were they called? Communists. Communists. <laughs> they communists. they would use the word communist when it came to Dr. King, Malcolm X, and Fred Hampton. That's right. And ironically, and again, also um, President uh, Kennedy. He was also called a communist. That's right. What happens in all that time span? President Kennedy is killed. Malcolm X is killed. Martin Luther King is killed. Fred, Fred Hampton, Hampton is killed. killed. Who's tied to all of those killings? The FBI. That's right. J. Edgar Hoover. Absolutely. Absolutely. But you can't make this stuff up. You can't make it up. You can't make it up. That was a good time. But let's get into the raid. 14 plain Chicago police officers. (laughs) 
If you watch Chicago PD, it wasn't Atwater. <laughs> it wasn't Frank Voigt. They didn't say Chicago PD. They didn't. They raided the apartment, occupied the leaders of the Chicago chapter of the Black Panther. The warrant was for illegal weapons. Yeah, and, and for the people who don't understand what the Black Panther Party apartment means is the Black Panther leaders realized that the FBI was was surveillancing them. That's right. So they stay, they would stay in an apartment together and not go home because they didn't want to lead the FBI to their families. So right. they would stay in one apartment. Um and that's where the most of the leaders stayed. It would be eight or nine of them living in, in one place. And that would also give them an opportunity to um, build, uh, as we would say, right. you know, come up with new ideas, come up with new things to do. And that's the thing we all understand about Fred Hampton. Fred Hampton fully gave himself to the Black Panther Party. Mm -hmm. He did. You know, his fiance, when she got pregnant, she asked, you know, Fred Hampton, <laughs> was he going to take a step back? And he said, listen, when you met me, you knew I was going to die for the people. That's right. So... I can't do that because I'm fully into this thing. That's so, right. and that's how a lot of those Black Panther Party leaders was. They, again, we always talk about when it comes to Black history. They expected yeah. to die. They expected. They to talked die. about death often. You know what I'm saying? That's right. Fred Hampton would always say, "I don't think I'm going to die because I got a bad heart. That's no, right. I'm gonna die because I love the people." <laughs> right? Absolutely. I love <laughs> you know, and, and the thing is, is we. You won't read about Fred Hampton in the textbook, but you should. You should. Yeah. You should read about him in the in the textbook because he knew he was going to die for the cause, mm -hmm. for the people, right? So did Martin Luther King. So did Malcolm X. I may not get there with you. I it's may not get there with you. It's a reason he, why he you know said the deal. Right. You know, Malcolm X knew before he went to that last speech he was going to be assassinated. Mm -hmm. He knew. He knew, but he still went, mm -hmm. right? He knew. His wife knew. Yeah. Try to, to get him not to go. He knew. It has to happen. Yeah. It has to happen, right? For the cause. Yeah. The problem is the cause got lost in the drama. Yeah. That's our fault. That's, That's our fault. Mm -hmm. We allowed the cause to get lost in the drama. Yeah. Right? We fell into the plan, you know? So what Fred Hampton did is Fred Hampton said, you know what? I want the cause to live on, which is why we talk about it all the time. There was many different chapters of the Black Panther Party. Yeah. Because if one leader dies, another one is somewhere else going to yeah. take over, you mm -hmm. know? You know, as, as, as we, we put this in real perspective, we talk about the apartment and how the Black Panthers kind of held up in one location to prevent them from knowing where the family was so they can build. There was a lot of things decided in that apartment mm -hmm. um, of what the Black Panther Party was going to do and how they was going to finance it. They did a lot of work from that apartment just details of what we're going to do and how we're going to do it and who's going to do it. Right. Right. A lot of those things took place. They offered Fred Hampton, what you saw in the movie was real. Take this money. Yeah. Let's get out of here. Get he, out of here. He, he didn't refused to, do it. to go. Didn't want to do it. The cause was bigger. Yeah. He always felt like the cause was bigger than him. And so when you think about that in today's society, like I say this all the time. If somebody knocked at my door and said, Jerome, we need your help, and you might not come home. Yeah. <laughs> Jerome gonna say, grandkids got the game tomorrow, man. I gotta be at the game, you know? It's gonna be hard to find people that are gonna be willing to die for a cause the way that these people were. Mm -hmm. and, and, and I'm saying, nowadays, you might not have to die for the cause. Mm -hmm. What you have to do is you have to stand up for the cause, though. Yeah, you might lose your job. You might lose okay? your job. You, you might, might lose, lose some friends. friends. Right. Right? But you have to stand up for the cause. Mm -hmm. 
And I'm starting to see more and more people stand up for the cause. And something Bake talk about all the time is the younger generation is fearless. Yes, they are. Oh my goodness, they're fearless. Now the look, the old man like Jerome ain't as fearless as the young guys, right? right? Because Jerome know if you drive too fast on a wet road, you can hyperplane, right? (laughs) The young generation be what is hyperplane? Yeah, right. What is hyperplane? I'm not hyperplaning. You know, so we we need to continue to give information. We talk about this on Wabu's podcast, Wabu New World New, World, New World, World, Order, World Order, right? For the people that checked us out, you yeah. saw us on that podcast as well. The one thing that we talked about is the 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 older generation got to learn how to educate and move out the way. Yeah, we got to learn how to educate, and move out the way. The sad part is, for a lot of time, we haven't had people in that younger generation that understood the conflict because yeah. we thought the conflict was the drama. Yeah. The drama is not the conflict. It's the content. Yeah. That's the, that's, that's the problem. We got to get off the drama, yeah. get back to the content. Absolutely. So the, the map identified, uh, Fred Hatton's bedroom, mm-hmm. um, four 30 in the morning, plain clothes officers come in. They, well, they say that they were shot at first. Um, there was no evidence of it. Yeah, no, no evidence of it. But um, they they fired more than ninety times, mm-hmm. including machine gun rounds through the walls, through the windows. Four Panthers was wounded and two were killed. Mark Clark, Fred Hampton, gunned down in his bed. His his uh, baby's mother said that they was under gunfire for five minutes, and it felt like five hours. She said she could feel the bullets coming through the mattresses. Mm-hmm. Um. And through all of that, Fred Hampton remained unconscious because he was given a sedative by an FBI informant. Oh, William uh, O'Neill. Yeah, which we I think we had discussed them previously on the podcast. Right. Um, the two officers entered the room as Fred lays there, and they said, you know, um, he's still alive. He might have recovered. They said two shots went, and they said he's good as dead now. Mm-hmm. As, as that happened, they're shoving... Uh, Colt 45 uh, revolver into his pregnant wife's stomach uh, as they leading her out of the door. She said she didn't look back a fear of what she would have seen and how she would have reacted. And, you know, we talk about, you know, when you first started watching Chicago PD, you text me and said, hey, why do they always yell Chicago PD? <laughs> because they're plain clothes officers. If you don't announce yourself, people won't know that you're law enforcement, right? So... These 14 plainclothes officers go and they don't announce themselves, they don't knock, and the Crook County uh, <laughs> prosecutor said that they were surprised attacked by the Black Panther Party. How the hell can you be surprised attacked by Black Panther Party at 4.30 in the morning on an unannounced raid? That's right. right? You coming to there. Yeah. You coming to there. So that, that, that just throws that out the window. So the fact of throwing, of, of shooting bullets into um, a dwelling, which I know I know people who doing forty years for shooting in an apartment complex, um, and because you're shooting inside of a dwelling, that's right. but police officers are shooting inside of a dwelling. They don't know who's in there. That's right. They have no idea that it's a pregnant female in there. They don't do they care. They got one thing. They got a map. They got Fred Hampton's room. That's, that's the right. only thing that they care about. So if you're going in there searching for illegal weapons, why are you firing inside of an apartment? And for the people, as Pops always say, how does this remain relevant to me today? 
Well, what was the last case about a no-knock warrant? Breonna Taylor. Breonna Taylor. And what happened in the Breonna Taylor case? Her boyfriend shot back. That's right. Right? didn't know there was cops. You have to announce yourself if you want to say that you're police officers, you're going in for a raid. That was not done in this instance. That's that's the other thing with with the cops saying... Is he dead? And the other cops saying he's good as dead now. Right. If you watch the Breonna Taylor video, when they're done shooting and they go in the room, you hear one of the cops say, yeah, she's done. Right. Yeah. You, you know, it's funny because we, you know, at the start when you was reading excerpt, you know, two Panthers were killed. Right. One was, one was killed. One was assassinated. One was murdered. Right. Right. Fred Hampton was, he was, was still alive because he was still alive. Yeah. And then they killed him. Yeah. Cold blood. Mark Clark. Yeah, was, basically was killed just shot him and killed him. You know? Was Mark 18 or? I, know I don't they, know. I know they said there was 18 year olds in there, but I don't know if Mark. That's the thing. A lot of them were young. Yeah, you you were probably young. would say all of them were at least 23 and under. Yeah. And they said it was, the Panthers only shot one, one shot. One, one shot. One shot. Um, and they could tell. By the way that the the of course when a, a bullet goes through a wall, you can tell by the remnants which direction the bullet was traveling, right. right? Well, all the bullets was coming in. They said they were nail holes in the mm-hmm. wall. I mean, I've I've missed the stud a couple times, but I'm not gonna miss the stud <laughs> in the wall that many times. Right, I'm right. gonna have that many holes in the wall, right? So um Well it, just just to be clear how you said it, that the police saying the the shots that was fired at them first. Well, bullets, when if you go look, it was studs in the wall. It That's wasn't right. bullets. <clears throat> That's right. Right. So, I mean, and even if you put this in perspective, that the warrant was for illegal weapons. Mm-hmm. This is something that the... Also, the FBI gives the floor plan to Chicago PD. That's right. Why is the FBI doing surveillance on... A, a group of people, but you sent Chicago PD to do your work. That's right. That that was a huge problem. We're going to get to that in a little bit. But what ended up happening in a lot of these searches was they would have informants like William O'Neill mm-hmm. um, and some other informants who were committing murder. Mm-hmm. So you wouldn't arrest them for murder because they was your informant. But if they were in a Black Panther Party um, building or apartment, you always had a way to get a search warrant because you knew that person was wanted for murder. That's right. This is something that the FBI did. Even to the degree, and I don't know if you guys researched this, but this part was in the movie, and I think a lot of people may have missed it, is that you remember that they thought they had an informant mm-hmm. from the, 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 the chapter that came from Boston yeah. Yeah. in the movie. And so at the time, William O'Neill thought that they found out about him, yeah. but it had nothing to do with him. And the murder took place in that situation. Yeah, They're saying now that the FBI had another informant that allowed that murder, even partic- participated in, in that murder yeah. in Boston to help bring down the Black Panther Party. Yeah, absolutely. So, you know, this, this when you, when you, st- you can't make this stuff up, but this stuff is made for TV. The problem is, it's the drama, not the content. Right. But if you look at the content, the content is way more powerful than the drama. Absolutely. Um, and, you know, the police, because, of course, nothing happened with this case. It was a successful raid in their case. It was a successful raid. But the police <coughs> neglected to secure the scene. That's right. So the Black Panthers went back. They took pictures. You know, they collected their own evidence. They took pictures of the bloody mattress that showed evidence that Fred Hampton was killed at a close range 
and um, that his body was dragged out into the hallway. So they began to do their own investigation, as the Black Panther Party did on multiple, multiple occasions, occasions, not even in Chicago, but you can go back to Oakland um, and what they were doing with creating their own investigations. That's right. So policing the police was much more than just going, following police patrolmen around and see if they did it their job right. It was cases like this where they That's would go right. back and do their own investigations. Uh, we'll take a quick commercial break. We'll be right back. And we are back. And we're going to jump right back in. Uh, <coughs> Pops, just repeat what you just said. Um, there's a, there, I talked about a lady named Elaine Brown, who um, basically she was appointed to be one of the chairmen in a, um, a, a section of Chicago to the Black Panther Party. Sexism was something that was prevalent throughout the party, something that Fred Hampton wanted to, to change. And um, she has a book called The Taste of Power, A Black Woman's Story. Um, and it just talks about her experience within the party as a black woman and chairman and then the sexism within the party. Mm. So it's a good book. Um, all right, Shaquan, you want to jump right back in? Yeah, we're going the aftermath of after the raid. Uh, documents later, uh, later revealed that uh, it was coordinated by the FBI as a part of a secret program to neutralize and destroy the Black Panther Party, which FBI director J. Edgar Hoover probably called the greatest threat to the internal security of the country. Mm -hmm. Did y'all want to repeat what y'all said? Well, it, it, well if, you, <laughs> if you look at J. Edgar Hoover did not want a repeat of the early 60s. He did not want a repeat of Dr. King. He did not want a repeat of Malcolm X. He did not want a re repeat of um, the Honorable Elijah Muhammad. <coughs> he did not want to repeat of Mega Evers. He didn't even want to repeat of President Kennedy. You know, he did not want this to happen. Again, we talk about how relevant 1965 is. They thought that the Voting Rights Act will put it in to black people's talking. Like, okay, you got your civil rights that you've been that you've been fighting for. Right. You got your Civil Rights Act of 1964. You got your Voting Rights Act of 1965. Everything should stop now. Dr. King didn't stop. Mm -mm. Malcolm didn't stop, right? Now you got Fred Hampton coming along. Let's go ahead and put this, because we're not, we're not going into the 70s and through on dealing with what we dealt with in the 60s. That's right. That was their mindset. So Fred Hampton became the target. Because you, you got to remember, Fred Hampton goes to prison for something he had done a few years earlier of taking some ice cream, giving it to some kids that may have round up to about a few dollars. Yeah, $71. Right? You know, $71 of ice cream, giving it out. That's what they put him in jail for, right? He gets out on appeal, and that's when they decided. They knew he was going back to jail the next day. The day of the raid, he was going back to jail the, the following day. Right. They didn't want him even in jail because they knew he could unify people in jail. That's how strong he was. And he could unify people outside by knowing he's in jail. You have to realize that somebody being in jail, the same thing. This is why uh, Huey Newton was important. Mm -hmm. Huey Newton unified and electrified people by being in prison. Right. It was almost best for the party that Huey Newton was in prison That's right. because that gave them more recognition. It gave them more members because of the Free Huey thing. Mm -hmm. They didn't want this happening with Fred Hampton. So with Fred Hampton going back to jail, they said, that's not good enough. Mm -hmm. 
he got to be out of here completely. Right. Because if you cut the head off, there's nobody else left. Remember, during this time, um, as Bobby Seal is on trial. Bobby Seal is um, on trial. With the, uh, I guess, the march that happened in Chicago as well. Mm -hmm. Fred Hampton was at those trials too, right? So they wanted to silence Fred Hampton altogether. And the only way you could do that is through death. So this is something that the FBI wanted to do. William O'Neill gives him a sedative. It was supposed to be enough to even kill him. So the thought that he was still alive surprised the officers. That's why they said, is he still alive? Because Fred Hampton wasn't even supposed to make it out of bed due to William O'Neill giving him that sedative. Yeah. You know, I, I, I find the name of the movie interesting, right? Judas and the Black Messiah. And, and so when you think of Messiah, most people think of Jesus, mm -hmm. right? What did Jesus provide? Hope for everybody, right? No matter how bad you are, there's hope for you. Mm -hmm. Hope. Um, no matter where you are on the social class, there's hope for you, right? There's something good in store for you. And what they did not want was Fred Hampton to provide that hope to what they considered people who didn't deserve it, mm -hmm. right? Black people, poor white people, Asians, Puerto Ricans. Mm -hmm. They didn't deserve that hope. They didn't deserve that something good. And they did not want that hope figure out there. Mm -hmm. Can't have that. You can't have hope because if they have hope, they're going to continue to fight. We don't yeah. want that. See, you when you don't have hope, you don't have anything. It has to start with hope. Yeah. Right? So they wanted to get rid of that, that hope. And that's what the whole assassination was about. They wanted to get rid of that, that hope. And um, in certain instances, when you look at this, they did that. Mm -hmm. They achieved that. The, the, the Black Panther Party did not last long after Fred Hampton was was assassinated. Mm -hmm. It didn't last much longer after that. Um, and we can talk all day long about um, why that is, but I, in my personal opinion, when you cut off the three heads of the snake, and we can, I'm gonna leave Eldritch out of this conversation, right. but you know, you Bobby Seale, um, Huey <laughs> Newton, and then Fred Hampton, when you take out all three of them, so to speak, it's a done deal, Yeah. you know? Now, but I do wanna mention this, out of this coalition, out of this Black Panther Party, you got numerous of black senators and congressmen, mm -hmm. some that are still in office today. Mm -hmm. So out of this, you got a lot more. You got mm -hmm. lawyers, you got law firms that came out of this Black Panther Party mm -hmm. that still exist today. So there was a lot of things that happened because of this Black Panther Party that a lot of people will never know about because all you think about is pigs and gun violence mm -hmm. is when you think about the black panther party you know we just talked about off air about <coughs> if we you know have some sympathy for william o'neill and i believe no more that i just think about that question i believe he contributed to fred hampton's death without even knowing it and i only say that because roy mitchell talks about how he goes to hear Fred Hampton speak and he just watches William O'Neill who doesn't know he's there. Mm -hmm. And he said, he told William O'Neill, I believe that you believe what this guy is saying. That's right. That's the level of influence Fred Hampton had. And I believe Roy Mitchell knew that if Fred Hampton was still alive, <coughs> he can give that influence to anybody. If he can change an informant uh, <laughs> mindset, 
Imagine what he could do to the poor people. If he can change poor white people's mindset, our own people, imagine what he could do right. if he's on a global scale. Remember, Huey Newton's in jail. Bobby Seale's about to go to jail. Who's next up? Eldridge Cleaver's out of the country. Who's next up? Fred Hampton. That is who we don't want because we could talk about Huey Newton was smart, but Huey Newton was reckless. That's right. Bobby Smeal was smart, but he wasn't the actual action leader that Black Panther Party needed. He was more of just the intelligence, more of the behind-the-scenes guy, political guy. That's right. Fred Hampton was the next Malcolm X, the That's next right. Dr. King. Can't have that going into the 70s. That's right. Well, you know, you brought up an interesting fact is that uh, William O'Neill was more afraid of law enforcement than he was in creating change and helping the Black Panther Party. Mm -hmm. Quickly, you could see how some people state their affiliation and what they base that affiliation on. So his was based on, I don't want to go to jail. Mm -hmm. I would do whatever it takes not to go to jail. When you look at that in real perspective, that applies so much to today, is that we are quick to align ourselves with an alliance that solely benefits us as individuals. Yeah. How does it affect me? Mm -hmm. And all that stuff y'all talking about over there, that don't affect me, you know? I live in Beverly Hills. That yeah. doesn't affect me. We do that more than anybody. Right. And when I say we, I'm talking about black America. Yeah, there's no unification. No unification whatsoever. What did Wabu say? There's no brotherhood and no, nothing. No brotherhood and nothing. There's no brotherhood and nothing. Like I said, we can go back to the plantation all the way up to, to modern day to see those people who want those trinkets. That's right. Right. Those people who would sell out their people, sell out a good movement for those trinkets. And when we say about a good movement, listen, there wasn't just FBI infiltration in the Black Panther Party and Nation of Islam. That's right. It was in the civil rights movement as well with Dr. King. That's right. So we're not just talking. So those are the uh, movements that y'all called the good movement, which was the civil rights movement. The FBI infiltrated that too. So when you look at that in real perspective, there's, they don't want unification at all. That's right. Whether you think it's good or bad. You can go all the way back to slavery. Yeah. Go all the way back to slavery. They didn't want you to congregate. They didn't want you to learn to be able to communicate. Right. They didn't want you to be educated. Fear of what would happen when you start thinking. Mm -hmm. And so you look at what happens today. You see what happened in this case. They used his fear of going to prison for grand theft auto. Mm -hmm. To help orchestrate an assassination mm -hmm. you thought that that was the best thing to do at that point right why because the white man said so because right. the law enforcement said so and you we know that he he was believing some of the concepts that probably all of the concepts because we were just talking off air was this where william o'neill was ready to start creating bombs and yeah. dropping bombs and fred hampton was like nigga you lost your mind <laughs> yeah. so we know that he was believing the concepts yeah. But his alliance for his own selfish reasons was too strong. I don't want to go to jail. $300 bonus. $300 <laughs> bonus. You know? Uh, and and I, I I used to have some sympathy for him. I right. did. When I first heard about it, started reading about it. Because he was so young. And when you're young, you, you're going to side. I mean, we see it all the time. Law enforcement gets you behind closed doors and start telling you you're going to prison for the rest of your life. Um, I, even, I even watched the video... Um, uh, on a rapper, I won't say his name, but he talked about that. Um, no, actually, it was the um, wasn't a rapper. It's one of the hosts on what is it? The drinking drink, drink, drink. Yeah, 
And uh, he said, you know, you go in this, they take you in a room, you're 17 years old, sometimes even younger than that. And they got a picture of your girlfriend off of social media and they go, see that right there? You'll never get that again. Matter yeah. of fact, your homeboys will be hitting that tonight. Yeah. You're going to go to prison for the rest of your life unless you tell us what we want to know. Niggas will start singing. Yeah. Right? You think it's the temptations in that motherfucker. <laughs> right. Niggas start singing so loud. <laughs> right? But the thing is, is that's what happens. They use that against you because we're not strong enough to stand for anything. Right. And if you don't stand for something, you'll fall for anything. And that's where we are. Right. You know, Fred Hampton tried to prevent that. He, in my opinion, he should be in the textbook right alongside Malcolm X, Martin Luther King. Yep. There you go. Uh, Wesley Swearinger became a whistleblower in the case in 1977, telling the government lawyers that the FBI had set up Chicago police to kill the Panthers by warning them ahead of the raid that they'd be met with armed resistance. At 4.30 in the morning. 4.30 in the morning. <laughs> 4.30 in the morning. It's going to be met with armed resistance, right? 4.30 in the morning. Don't even know you coming. <laughs> right. You know, they, they refuse to indict, you know, um, even after having proof that the officers fired over 90 times and the Panthers only fired once. And that the FBI withheld 200 volumes of documents from Discovery. Uh, one being the, the COINTELPRO. And the other one being that William O'Neill received a $300 bonus for a successful raid. Successful. Right? So, you know, that the trial lasted 18 months. And then the judge threw out every evidence that the Black Panthers was throwing in. Threw it out. Hung Jerry. The case was thrown out. Um, it started in 1972. 18 months later, they threw it out. Finally, in 1979, the circuit court reversed it and said there's a overwhelming uh, evidence that the FBI planned the murder and assassination of Fred Hampton to destroy the Panthers. That's right. um, they ended up in $1.85 million settlement in 1983. Um and but the but the deal was that the FBI had to conceal the FBI's role to of the secret COINTEL Pro that decided the criminal charges would be dropped against the seven Panthers that survived. That's right. And in exchange, the federal grand jury would rule in favor of uh the police raiders. That's right. But man, it, it's not, not to mention that the counter intel pro was illegal. Mm -hmm. That was illegal. Wildtaps were illegal. Right. Yeah, absolutely. Wildtaps were illegal. The only time you really hear about it and it being illegal is in Watergate. For those that don't know that what Watergate is, Google that. You know? Yeah, it wasn't until last year where the FBI documents was revealed about this COINTEL right. Pro due to the Freedom of, of Information Act That's request. Right. They had to give all of this information that we can have now and look at to see how this was a planned assassination. Absolutely. Because it is federal law that they give that, that public information. Yep. Um, but you know, J. Edgar Hoover, Roy Martin, um, Roy Martin was thanked by J. Edgar Hoover um, with the bonus letter. And then we know William O'Neill killed himself after the story got out about his involvement. And, he did and an that, interview. That, yeah. And, uh, later that day. Yeah, before the interview, the interview aired, he he uh, killed I, himself. I think the que the main question that if you watch the interview, the interview, I, I think it gives a little perspective about William O'Neill, which most people at some point probably didn't get, didn't, probably didn't care much for him. But in an interview, they asked him, they said, what would you say if, if, I don't even know if he had a son or not, but they asked him, they said, what would you say to your son about your role in 
the assassination of, of Fred Hampton. And I thought his answer was interesting, but I also think that obviously that that struck a nerve with him. And uh, later that day, he ended up committing suicide. Right. You know. Uh, I mean, like I said, I believe he he was influenced by a lot of Black Panther parties, and it may just be guilt of that he killed possibly one of the, the greatest um, leaders that we could have had because right. he, he was only twenty years old. That's right. You know what I mean. Think about what Fred Hampton could have been. That's right. You know, so when you look at that, you know, you not only took a leader away from the black community, you know, he he never got to see his uh, his kid being born. Um, he never really got to experience life. He was just somebody that died for the cause. And like you talked about earlier, William O'Neill did all of that just to get out of Grant Auto and impersonating law enforcement. That's right. All of that for that. You know, you think about when you think about Chicago and you think about the gang violence in Chicago, the murders, there are more people being killed in Chicago than in, in itself than in multiple states right. on a regular basis. Think about the impact he could have had to prevent that from even getting to that point, right. creating the, the, the environment that would not have ended with having that type of violence going on um, in, in those communities in Chicago. Um, I, I think is a is a travesty in itself when you think about it. All because one guy didn't want to go to jail for grand theft auto and impersonating the police officer. It's a, it's a domino effect because we know the next wave that comes in into the seventies, which is drugs. Drugs. Whether you talk about Oakland, California, when it comes to Huey Newton and them, Chicago, um, mm -hmm. New York. I mean, we see this all over the all over the. Um, the inner cities of what we call them. That's right. But we've had leaders there. So when people say, you know, <coughs> you guys should stop black on black crime, you guys should start focusing more on your own neighborhoods. We did. Yeah. Government they, took they, us they, out. And they killed them. That's right. You know? Yeah, and you think about where where drugs and gangs are prevalent. It was in these communities where you had leaders in the Black Panther Party. Right. You know? And in a lot of cases, and it was us who did it. We gave them the foothold for for the, the law enforcement and white America, so to speak, to take them down. Right. You know, we gave them what they needed to do the job. Right. You know, so. But what you talk about unification, I mean, that's that's something that that Fred Hampton did well. And I think that is the one of the most uh, important things that he did was the Rainbow Coalition. Um, you can't talk about I'm, I believe there's a new Rainbow Coalition, but you don't get that without Fred Hampton. I don't even yeah. know what goes into Well, we know the LGBTQ uses the rainbow. But that, that started by, by Fred Hampton um, to look at people who were in a similar situation. That's right. Um, you know, Dr. King talked about that as well. You know, he would he would have conversations with the prison guards while he was incarcerated and say, look, you make this amount of much money. <laughs> You're in the That's same right. boat as me. That's right. Um, I look at the sexism part as one of the most impactful because when we talk about leaders like Martin Luther King and Malcolm X, I didn't see them appointing women to those positions that that you saw Fred Hampton doing, mm -hmm. and 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 I'm not I'm not saying that they didn't. I'm just saying when have we talked about it? Not at the you forefront. Know? Not at the forefront. I mean, you might have had leaders in position, but they were not at the forefront right. to where men were reporting to them. So you know, when I look at Fred Hampton, when I even think about the Black Panther Party in general, I'll be honest with you, I don't think about Huey P. Newton, who is one of my favorite Black Panthers. Right. I don't think about Bobby Seale. I don't even think about Fred Hampton. I think about Angela Davis, Asada Shakur. Asada Shakur, Elaine Brown. Yeah, I think about three women 
almost in the same light that I think about the three men that right. I just mentioned. Um, and I think that's because of Fred Hampton right. and how he elevated women, how he, you know, you even look at it on a personal note, man. You hear guys tell women all the time, oh, man, I, I just love your intelligence, right? And then when she has advice, I, I don't want to hear that, right? right? Yeah. Well, we respect and we love their intelligence, but we, want, we don't want their advice, right? Yeah. We don't want to hear their opinion. You know, and Fred Hampton was the opposite. Right. He felt like that women bore just as much value, if not more so, than a man. We you still know, see so that today. Me, I believe yeah. I believe most of our leadership comes from black women. I, I do too. Activism, Especially when you yeah. think about when you think about not just activism, but if you look in in the government right you, now, you look at politics. You look at right, politics. Right. You know, it's mostly black women. Well, not even black women, just women in general. Well, you got educators, you got uh, right. politicians. I mean, <laughs> lawyers. I mean, judges. I mean, you're talking about an influential uh, uh, time frame. That's right. Um, to where women began to become more to the forefront. That's right. Um, the front lines, as we as we would say. Um, Think we ready for a woman president? Yeah, I think we'll get I, one. No, <laughs> <laughs> uh, no. Uh, we, we, we have a lot of issues still to deal with it in America. You know, it's, I, I say this all the time. As little progress as has been made. For Black America, there's been even less for for women. Yeah, and and that's again that goes back to um, the movement that we have today. Most of our alliances are women mm-hmm. when it comes to when you talk about outside of our race. <coughs> right. Uh, our, our alliances for social equality comes from women, white women. Um, and I know a lot of the 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 blackity black people don't want to talk about it. But also with the LGBTQ community. That's right. Um, you know, regardless of who that offends, that, that's where our alliances are. Because when you talk about people who feel the same type of discrimination, you don't punch down on those people. That's right. Um, and, and, you know, that's important because I think people got to understand that discrimination and inequality is the same no matter who the person is. Right. doesn't matter what color they are. Right. Um if you're being treated unfairly, right, it's unfair. And I, I, I'm not the person, you know. That's what I believe. Whoopi Goldberg went wrong. Mm-hmm. I'm not the person to compare, right? I, you know what I mean? Like, that's right. We know black people have suffered the longest when it comes to slavery, when it comes to right. discrimination, <coughs> and you know, a lot of people like to bring up, you know, Irish uh, indentured servants. You like to bring up the Holocaust. Okay, that's fine. But what I'm not going to do is argue with you because I don't want to diminish what they went through. That's right. So I'm not going to compare. Can't, can't compare it. I'm not That's going right. to compare it. You can because that may be your small thinking to That's get your right. point across. But to get my point across, I'm not going to compare those. That's right. Because I, that that would be, as somebody who's been discriminated against, that would be punching down on somebody. And I know how that feels. I wouldn't right. do that to nobody. I agree. Um, Anything else y'all got to add? Uh, no, I'm good. Uh. Chicago PD. <laughs> Chicago PD. I also say, uh, if you didn't watch the Mammy Till story, go watch that. She also has a documentary about her. I think that's on Hulu. There's a documentary out um, on Peacock called Killer Bees. I think it's produced by Shaq. I do have a quick question, though. Okay. Do you think that Emmett Till's murder played a part in what Fred Hampton became? I would be... Because he was about six or seven years old. I would be small-minded if I say it didn't. 
You know what I mean? Not just him. I mean, Muhammad Ali talked about it. Mm -hmm. um, there's a lot of people who were kids at that age that talked about how that influenced them. Again, we, we talk about this all the time, how kids look at things that are going on today and say it could be me. When you show kids that picture, they say yeah. that could have been me. And that, that changed, right. that sparked everything. Because that when, goes back to the imagery we talked about on day one of the podcast. Yeah. Is those images, early images that you see. And we think about the positive images when you see, um, you know, black teachers and historians or whatever. But also the negative ones when you see a person like Emmett Till's 14 years old murdered. Yeah. And you see those images of how his body, how his face looked. Yeah. Um, Y'all yeah, can imagine how that impacted him to try to create change. Absolutely. You know? But we love y'all. Peace.